are back. Happy Friday. Leslie Marshall here. Welcome. Welcome back. Only True Democracy and Talk Radio. You know, there are many shows on radio and television that you can hear a lot of people who profess to know what they're talking about with regard to Brexit, with regard to this vote today, and uh, with regard to, uh, you know, the UK, the EU. But why not go to the numero uno source? And that's what my great producer, Andrew Tomedy, did today, uh, booking David O'Sullivan. Ambassador Sullivan is ambassador of the European Union to the United States. And prior to arriving in the U.S. in November 2014, he held the position of chief operating officer of the European External Action Service, also director general from tra- for trade from 2005 to 2010, previously secretary general of the European Commission from June 2000 to November 2005, head of cabinet of commission, President uh, Ramano Prati and Director General for Education and Training. More than a pleasure to have with us Ambassador of the European Union to the United States, Ambassador David O'Sullivan. Ambassador O'Sullivan, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon, sir. My pleasure, Leslie. Thank you very much indeed. Um, my best friend lives in London, and we were talking yesterday about this, and we got in an argument, and of course, uh, she was pro. Uh, leave. Uh, and uh, I was pro stay, even though I'm an American, I definitely get over the pond at least once a year to see her and uh, her family. Um, were you, first of all, surprised by this vote? Polls were showing that stay was going to happen. And then just as of late, leave uh, took uh, the lead. And and then, of course, I find this almost a tie very close, but some people will say, no, four percentage points, uh, you know, is huge. So first of all, were you surprised, and do you find this to be a large margin uh, by which uh, the Leave uh, folks won their efforts? Well, I was not entirely surprised because I could see that this had been a tough debate, and indeed the, the polls were showing that it was running close and that the, the likely outcome was going to be tight. Uh, I was very disappointed that in the end uh, the people of the United Kingdom decided uh, to to leave the European Union. I think this is a sad moment, but we respect that decision. I mean, in terms of margins, uh, it's not really for me to to comment except to say that I think this is a clear decision. Uh, Referenda tend to be finally balanced, and of course uh, the British people have now to deal with the fact that, yes, there was a clear majority in favor of of leaving, but there was also a very substantial number of people who want to remain. So they're going to have to discuss that between themselves as to how they now uh, deal with that. But I think for the rest of us, we have taken it as a clear indication that the United Kingdom has, through this process, decided to leave, and we now need to action that uh, in accordance with the procedures laid down in the European treaties, which is uh, regrettable, but that is the situation in which we now find ourselves. Ambassador, are you and the other ambassadors, uh, were you taken by surprise that the prime minister will be stepping down in October and not being able to lead after uh, really fighting hard for a different outcome? And, uh, and, and some people would say even taking this um, almost uh, as a you know, personal vote against him. Well, look, I, it's not for me to comment on domestic British politics. Uh, politics is a rough-and-tumble uh, activity, uh, and uh, I'm not surprised that there will be some political fallout in the United Kingdom from, from this decision. Uh, as for how long it will take, I mean, I think this is the internal procedures of the Conservative Party as to how long it takes to uh, appoint a new leader. So uh, we, we need to show understanding of, of, of the need in the U.K. For, for the dust to settle and for people to kind of figure out how they want to go forward. I think, however, the message from the rest of us uh, and the, the clear message from the heads of the European institutions this morning was to say, please, let's try now, now that this decision is taken, let's try to move forward as soon as possible. Let's try to end the uh, huge degree of uncertainty which we are seeing, which is affecting markets, affecting currencies. 
uh, it's in our mutual interest now to move forward quickly, uh, try to provide the maximum certainty, uh, and figure out what this new relationship between uh, the European Union and uh, the United Kingdom is going to look like in the future. Uh, absolutely. One of the things that I heard from people that had uh, voted to leave was that they had complaints with a couple of things uh, coming out of Brussels. Uh, one, I'll give you a very small example, was a guy who made scones. I think his name was Oliver. He lived in the countryside in England, in the north. And um, he said out of Brussels, there were just uh, so many regulations. He had to have so much paperwork. He said, I'm not sending the scone to the moon. I feel like I'm, you know, making scones for NASA, not just for, you know, the public in my general shop in my village. And then um, also people uh, in uh, in the UK, uh, specifically England, uh, angry that individuals are appointed who could uh, make decisions for them, not people that they had elected. Uh, based on this vote today, um, are you, the other ambassadors, or uh, sitting down with even leaders of uh, the rest of the EU uh, to, to, to maybe um, you know, try and stop any you know, uh, further fragmentation of the EU by addressing some of these needs perhaps that are among citizens in other countries? You know, Leslie, I, I've heard those, those arguments, and of course uh, we should not be, be, be tone deaf or insensitive to when, when people make these points. Frankly, uh, I'm, I'm not sure they're always uh, true. Uh, the amount of regulation generated by the European Union is far less than that generated at the national level. Much of the restrictions and regulations on industry uh, in, in, in Europe actually come from the national level, not the European level. Uh, so signs on that you can be a member of the European Union and have very different regulatory systems, uh, uh, continental systems, which are sometimes very heavily regulated, uh, Southern European or, or British and Ireland, who have far less regulation, and that, that, that variation is possible while being a member of the same European Union. On the fundamental point you make about democracy, you know, I, I, I understand, of course, that you cannot elect directly the government of Brussels, but of course there isn't a government in Brussels. Brussels is governed by the member states, by the governments of the member states of the European Union. The decisions which are taken are taken by the member states of the European Union or in agreement with the directly elected members of the European Parliament. So I, I, we have the European Union that our member states have wished for. It is not a perfectly federal system because our member states and our people did not want a United States of Europe. They wanted this intermediate structure which reconciles a, a certain degree of supranational activity at European level and at the same time a high degree of sovereignty and independence for our individual member states. Even the United Kingdom was not a part of the Euro, was not a part of right. the Schengen uh, free movement area and had many exceptions uh, to European rules Absolutely. down the years. So, you know, I think I, I get it that these views are held and, and they possibly influence the outcome. I also also get it that we need to be constantly sensitive to uh, how our citizens view the whole process but the main transmission uh, vehicle for that is the nationally elected government absolutely and mr ambassador will be right back
We are back with Ambassador David O'Sullivan, Ambassador of the European Union to the United States. We're obviously talking about the Brexit uh, vote uh, today. The UK has voted to leave the European Union. Ambassador O'Sullivan, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Um, you ha- you have a great extensive uh, career. Um, you had alluded uh, to what happened today with the markets, um, not just uh, in the EU, in the UK, in the United States, in Japan. Um, you know, many people feel this is temporary. I'm certainly not a stockbroker. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not an economic genius by any means. Um, but, you know, w- one of the reasons that, you know, they, they voted for this, and you know there are various reasons, is, you know, the idea that they will fare better financially. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, people vote for economic reasons. Um, and a lot of people say that this is going to be a process. This is going to take time. Um, is because you obviously respect their decision and because, you know, this is all within the agreements between, you know, present uh, countries in the EU and the UK who will be leaving. Um, how long does it take for such a transition? Like you mentioned, the UK has the pound, not the euro. Uh, but then again, uh, there are many other factors and those factors could affect uh, markets. So one, uh, do EU countries fear because their markets were even lower today uh, than the UK market at the close of business? Um, are, are they fearful? that this is going to continue to affect their market negatively, at least in the short term? Well, I, I mean, I think there are, there are two elements in what you say. I mean, one is the short-term reaction to the, to the decision, and the, the, which came as a surprise, uh, and that inevitably reflects itself in, in, in volatility. Um, the other is, uh, and uh, one of the reasons we now need to move fairly quickly to try to deal with this situation is to try to provide the maximum certainty and clarity for commercial operators and businesses going forward as to how this new relationship is going to work. You're right, it's not going to be a matter of weeks to do, it's going to probably take months and years, but the sooner we start work on that and are seen to be working on it, I think people will then calm themselves down. The second question, however, is whether Britain's long-term future or medium-term future is best served by leaving the EU rather than remaining within it. And on that, I think, uh, whether it's the IMF or the OECD or even the British Treasury, uh, produced some fairly convincing statistics that uh, Britain's future economic uh, prosperity would have been better guaranteed by remaining within the European Union. But only time will tell whether these predictions were accurate, uh, and that will in part depend on what is the, the nature of the relationship which is created between uh, a United Kingdom, the longer part of the European Union, and uh, the remainder of the European Union. And that's a, a question you know, which, to which everyone waits for an answer from, from the British government, at least as a first suggestion of what they think this new relationship might look like. And then the rest of the member states in the European Union will be able to react. Do you, the uh, Mr. Ambassador, do the, you, the other ambassadors, and um, you know, citizens of most of the EU uh, countries, or most citizens of these uh, of the EU, um, fear that the EU itself will be destabilized, and that this will become a domino effect going forward, and that other nations will follow suit? Well, I've heard that argument a number of times, and I must say I'm not convinced. Um, I know that there are opinion polls which have shown uh, a certain criticism and even uh, uh, dissatisfaction in other parts of Europe with the way uh, the European Union is functioning. But in the only polls where people have actually been asked whether they want to leave, uh, very large majorities in all our member states have said that they want to remain. So I, I think it's, it's a very far reach to move from the decision in, in the United Kingdom, which has always had a, 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 a different 
difficult relationship with, uh, with the European Union uh, to project that onto other countries. This is not to say that uh, this will not provoke a debate about uh, the nature of the European Union, uh, how it delivers for its citizens, uh, the, the issue of democracy and accountability that you mentioned. And the European Union is a work in progress, so I'm sure the 27 will not uh, refuse to address these kind of issues, but I, I frankly do not believe that there is any real likelihood of this uh, vote in the United Kingdom being replicated in any other member state anytime soon. Um, let's talk about trade. You were Director General uh, for Trade from 2005 to 2010. Um, uh, I've already heard about different companies. Uh, you know, there have been threats by certain companies, you know, American-based companies like J.P. Morgan, and there have been companies already, you know, making plans to move operations, whether it be, you know, to Dublin and Ireland, to Scotland or elsewhere um, outside of the U.K. Um, to the E.U. Um, so what about trade? Could this actually uh, benefit in, in the EU in the long term, not having uh, the UK uh, for the business part of the world that didn't want the UK to do this? Well, I, I, I think, uh, frankly, we would all prefer that the UK remain. Uh, and I, if there is some temporary benefit by virtue of their decision to leave by companies relocating, uh, I, I, okay, but I think that's, you know, people would have been much happier if we could have remained at 28. I think the challenge uh, for the UK at this point uh, is to define what is its relationship with the European Union after it leaves. And this is something where, as an outside observer, I found the Leave campaign did not have a clear uh, narrative of what they saw as the future relationship. And there are different models. Uh, it could be like Norway uh, or, or Iceland, which are very close neighbors and who are virtual members of the European Union, except that they uh, uh, participate in the single market, they allow freedom of movement of people, they contribute to the EU budget, but they are not formally speaking a part of the decision-making process of, of the European Union. That's one model. Uh, another model is simply having a free trade agreement of the kind we've negotiated with Canada. Uh, but these uh, all contain certain disadvantages for the UK, and I'm uh, frankly, I wait to see with interest what the UK is going to suggest as, as the way forward. And it's only in function of the answer to that question that you can define uh, whether the, uh, there will be you know, a good way out of this economically for the UK or not. And uh, this will be a very important question. I'm sure there will be debate in the UK about this issue because it was not resolved by the referendum. And this will be part of their political process before I imagine they will feel able to come to Brussels and explain how they want to go forward. You know, speaking of uh, trade, there is a small brewery in Brooklyn, New York, that, believe it or not, supplies a lot of brew to the pubs. Uh, and, uh, you know, they export goods. There are other um, companies here in the United States, and you're ambassador of the European to the United States. Um, have your phones been ringing with that concern since this vote by the small and the large business owner concerned that they will lose money um, be, you know, with trade in the export side of things to the UK? Well, uh, the short answer is no, because I think it's very important uh, for, your, for your listeners today to understand that the vote yesterday has no immediate legal effect and nothing changes until there is a legal decision uh, to the contrary. So for the moment, we are in the same situation we were in uh, on, on, on Wednesday and will be for some time until there is a new decision. So people should not uh, worry that there is, you know, they suddenly will not be able to export or that there will be new tariffs or restrictions. It is true 
that in function of the new arrangements which the UK puts in place once they leave the European Union, uh, they will have to decide what is their trading relationship not only with the European Union, but also with uh, other major trading partners such as the United States. And here again, uh, I'm afraid, uh, there is no clarity uh, from this debate and this campaign in, in the UK as to what that will look like. So that element of uncertainty is there, but for the moment, uh, US exporters can export to all 28 members of the European community in exactly the same conditions as they were able to do before the referendum. One thing I heard today were numbers I was not aware of, Mr. Ambassador, and, and, and that is that the UK actually has more Brits, expats, working outside in the EU than they do have immigrants coming to work in uh, aside the UK. Um, and I know I heard people crying in Spain, where I think that's the number one um, a recipient of uh, British expats working, along with other countries um, in the EU. Um, this is a scary time for them. They're fearful to lose their jobs. Those who are retirees, uh, like in Marbella or uh, Gibraltar in Spain as examples, uh, they're concerned that they will lose their um, EU health benefits because they'll no longer be a part of the union. Like you said, it's not, you know, the vote was made. It's not legally uh, changing today. But these are changes in the future that could have very negative consequences for members of the United Kingdom that live outside the UK. No, this is absolutely true, and I, uh, I fear, but I mean, it's uh, it's water under the bridge now that perhaps not every you know in, in a complex and vibrant debate that took place that some of these issues got a bit lost, uh, and perhaps they will only now come to the surface as people realise what the full implications, uh, excuse me, the full implications uh, of this vote are for UK interests, not only in the UK, but also, as you say, British, uh, British citizens living uh, and working uh, all over the European Union. And there is a very substantial British community of retirees uh, in Spain. So, yes, I mean, unfortunately, you know, actions have consequences. And uh, this, the European Union has bound us so tightly and closely together to everyone's great satisfaction by and large, uh, even though people like to moan about it. Uh, that unraveling this is going to be very complicated and is going to have probably some negative consequences for, for, for a range of people. Um, but that, this is the decision which has been taken. Uh, and uh, if we are to, I mean, there are solutions to these problems. Uh, the, the arrangement that Norway has with uh, the European Union would permit the UK to continue to let its citizens have free movement uh, in, in the EU, but they would have to accept that there is free movement uh, into the UK. And, of course, this was one of the, one of the elements in the debate uh, and, one of, I believe, one of the reasons why people felt they wanted to leave. So squaring, you know, squaring the circle of these contradictions is going to be one of the challenges for the UK itself uh, in the next few months and, and then for the rest of us to work out how we're going to do this uh, with the UK in, in a way that is ultimately in everyone's best interest. But it is true, we, we, we will live in a changed world, and there, will, there is a difference between being in the EU and being outside it. And that is something the UK is going to have to come to terms with. Yes. And uh, Brits, um, you probably know much better than I, uh, Mr. Ambassador, uh, normally don't and have really never referred to themselves as uh, Europeans. Uh, they never, um, you know, accepted and changed their currency to uh, the euro. And additionally, when people talk about freedom of movement with regard to travel, um, very different for the UK. I mean, you know, you're looking at an island. I mean, you know, somebody has to get on a plane or a boat uh, to get there. Unlike uh, Germany is an example, which what has 10 you know, borders, uh, you know, 10 various countries uh, touching its border at various points. Um, so uh, tr this doesn't affect, um, you know, this doesn't affect 
the UK and even the EU in some of the areas that were pushed by the leave uh, individuals, uh, you know, because obviously currency is irrelevant and, and travel, well, it may change when you go into Heathrow, obviously, or when they go into the EU, um, but it's it's not like anybody is driving from London to Paris. Well, exactly, and, and uh, because the, the UK is not part of the Schengen uh, borderless travel area, there, there have always been uh, passport checks uh, and security checks when you enter the UK, whether by car or by, or by rail or, or by air. So, uh, you know, I honestly, some of us were quite perplexed, uh, given the degree of um, uh, special treatment which the UK had and the, the, the degree of autonomy which they had retained, as you say, in the area of currency, in the area of uh, free movement, uh, in terms of border checks and, and passport checks. But, uh, again, you know, this is, frankly, uh, there's no point in trying to go back over the campaign. The decision has been reached. It, is, it has been taken. The UK is now going to leave. And I think we have to look to the future, try and move expeditiously uh, to provide the maximum clarity and certainty and try to build the best relationship we can, recognizing that, you know, things are not going to be the same, unfortunately. Um, a couple more questions, and we'll let you go. I want to keep you under time here, Mr. Ambassador. I know you're very busy. I think you're talking to me from CNN headquarters. Um, immigration. Um, immigration weighed into this decision uh, for many of the U.K. Uh, citizens. Um, obviously, it's very early, uh, but what would you imagine will happen to their percentage or share of immigrants that they were originally going to take and obviously plan not to or to take far less of because they want to revamp their immigration laws? Well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not aware that the U.K. had committed to take uh, any. Uh, I think if you're talking about uh, asylum seekers uh, or yes. refugees. Yes, uh, Syrian refugees, yes. The U.K. was not bound by the European-wide commitment of reallocation uh, of refugees, which was only those countries who were party to the Schengen Agreement. So the U.K. was never uh, uh, under uh, sort of an obligation to take uh, refugees. Uh, they had taken a commitment, I believe, uh, to take, uh, I think the number was 20 or 25,000, I can't remember, uh, but they were going to take them directly from camps uh, outside uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Syrian area and not from within the EU. Uh, on the general issue of immigration, uh, look, uh, it's true that there is, has been quite a large uh, movement of uh, European citizens moving to the UK to work, to live and work there. By the way, all you know, contributing to the economy, paying their taxes, paying their social welfare, contributing much more to the economy than they ever took out of it. But there's also a very substantial non-EU uh, immigration into, into, the, into the UK, uh, which is something that the UK could have controlled at any moment. I mean, it's true that on free movement, their margin of maneuver was somewhat more limited. But for people coming from outside the EU, uh, the UK had full autonomy to decide that. So, I, you know, I don't, again, I think this is going to have to be the subject of a debate in the UK. One thing is very clear to me, uh, as a long-standing European official, uh, the European Union will not accept full access to the single market without the quid pro quo of free movement of people. Uh, for us, uh, the free movement of people is an integral part of the single market involving free movement of capital, goods, and services, and people. Uh, and if the UK wants to retain full access to the single market, it will have to accept uh, freedom of movement of persons. Lastly, um, the the president and the vice president said after the vote that the special bond between the U.S. and the U.K. will endure, but there can't help be some changes. Does it stress that special relationship between the United States and the United Kingdom? Well, this is this is for 
the U.S. and the U.K. to, to, to discuss. I mean, uh, we all know that there is a close relationship between the U.K. and the United States for historical reasons, though one can argue that perhaps this has diminished a little over time uh, and is not quite as special now as it, it perhaps once was. But, I mean, there is, there is, a, there is a close bond. Yeah, but it was also clear that for the United States, uh, the U.K. was a valuable friend also as a part of the European Union and able to influence and contribute to uh, European Union debates, whether this is on uh, economic issues, trade issues, or on issues like uh, you know, sanctions against Russia for what they're doing in Ukraine. So I, I, I think the, listening to what President Obama said when he was in London, I think the, the reaction in the United States is, is to regret that they are losing uh, uh, the voice of a friend within the European Union, but we have excellent relations with the United States, the rest of us, uh, and I'm sure that we will find a way to, to uh, build that transatlantic relationship between the European Union and 27, and then the UK will have to figure out its own new relationship with the United States in, in this new context. Uh, well, I'm so glad that you were with us today, Mr. Ambassador. Ambassador David O'Sullivan, thank you for your time, sir. I know you're quite busy. Uh, David O'Sullivan is Ambassador of the European Union to the United States. Check out their website. You can find out more about what the ambassador does in that organization. EUintheus.org is their website. On Twitter, you can follow the ambassador at EUAMBUS. I'm Leslie Marshall, coming up live from our nation's capital right after this quick commercial break. Talk media news. Don't go away. 